Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we have a guest today, and our guest is, you know, and I didn't check how to pronounce your surname. It's Steve Berez? Uh, yeah, Berez. Berez. Excellent. And uh, Steve is, among other things, uh, I think a, a very long-term partner at Bain & Company and has tons of experience working with very large organizations on their digital and agile transformations. And he's written a book, and I hope I can get the name of the book right, that is Doing Agile Right, colon, Transformation Without Chaos. And uh, we're big fans of uh, digital transformations and uh, not big fans of chaos. So uh, this sounded like it was a, a, a perfect book to talk about. So welcome, Steve. Thanks to, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, what led you to, read, to, to write the book? Uh, what, what things were you bringing that you thought were, were new to the discussion uh, about uh, how to do Agile right? So uh, I and my colleagues at Bain have been working with companies for 10 years or so on helping them adopt agile values and practices and getting benefits from it. And what we were seeing uh, increasingly over the last several years, especially is agile becoming more and more popular, uh, more and more companies trying to adopt it, certainly more and more consulting firms uh, trying to sell it to, to companies, but seeing a lot of disappointing results hmm. and we were really worried that Agile was just getting a bad name. I mean, we would be going into companies saying, you know, we kind of like the stuff you're talking about, about these, these small teams that are customer focused and empowered to, to, uh, to meet customer needs, but, but please don't call it Agile because kind of Agile has a bad name around here. We tried it, didn't really work. So, you know, we, we're worried that Agile was going to end up on the scrap heap of management ideas, kind of like quality circles or re-engineering because so many companies were, were trying it and having, having a bad experience. So we wrote the book to try to change that, to try to ensure that individuals, leaders, and, and their companies were going to have success with Agile and really get the benefits that we know can accrue if you do it right. And that's so interesting because we see so often the um, uh, that exact same symptom of people saying, well, Agile just doesn't work. That's a, a very common thing that we see too. That, that's right. And I, I, you had the, uh, when we were preparing for the podcast, you mentioned that typically when you come in, most companies have had some type of experience with Agile. So very often you're in a place where you're uh, seeing the past disappointments. And what are the, what's an example of a, a typical problem that you might see that kind of sets companies down the wrong path? Absolutely. Well, one of the most common patterns we're seeing is executives who hear about agility, read about it, maybe talk, talk to a friend and get enamored with, with the concept. They also see that some of the most valuable companies in the world today are, are using agile teams. They look at Amazon, they look at Google, um, they look at Facebook and they say, boy, we're starting to compete more and more with companies like this. So we, we need to do this. We need to adopt, uh, adopt agile. So they embark on a journey, which is very typical of the way they already do change in their business. They launch a giant program <laughs> and they bring in a bunch of consultants and they design how their agile company is going to look. Quite often they're copying some other company and doing that. You know, Spotify is probably the most common companies being copied these days. 
know, if you talk to the Spotify folks, they'll say there is no Spotify model for agility. Please <laughs> do not copy us. Uh, it's not going to work in your company. It, it works here because of the of many things that are unique to, to us, our, our, our culture, our, our, our architecture, and, and many other things. So they say not to copy, but um, you know, unfortunately, uh, many uh, companies go down that path, and they say, you know, to their their employees, you're going to now be agile. We're going to break you into agile teams. Uh, quite often they say, oh, by the way, we need 20% fewer of you since agile is so much more productive. <laughs> so we're going to fire a bunch of you in the process. The rest of you have to reapply for your jobs. And if you don't sign on to this, if you don't have the right attitudes, well, we don't need you either. So, I, I mean, it's, it's exactly the opposite of an agile approach to, uh, to, to these kind of change. And uh, that's one of the many things that we're, we're arguing against and uh, setting up different patterns for in the book. So if you start out with an agile approach, uh, or sorry, a non-agile approach, then you're not likely to get a very good agile result. Exactly. And, and it's no surprising that the, the companies know that they need to change their culture, but of course they are trying to change their culture using the culture they have. So they, they come to the change, the transformation process, not in, not in the end state, but in their beginning state. <laughs> Jeffrey, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And uh, of course we know, you know, the agile approach is really the way that you're going to get to agility. And that, that typically starts with just a few agile teams and probably the people, you know, starting with people that are already excited about the concept and, and want to do it. Um, it, it you know, the, the, the pattern that we see works is to um, learn from those agile teams, learn what works and what doesn't work in your company, uh, you know, testing and learning and viewing your customer, your, your employees is actually the customers of this agile transition. Uh, once you get a few teams that are that are working well that you've tuned to be effective within the culture and other elements of your company then you can start to scale but the scaling is usually happening because other people are seeing the success of those teams and they're saying ha huh, that's pretty interesting i'd like to do that not only they're getting better results they're actually having a much better time doing it they're having more fun and that, that's actually one of our litmus tests of, of, of agile or whether it's working, if the people doing it aren't having fun, they're not doing it right. It's pretty much guaranteed. Got it. So that's, I like that metric. I may start applying the fun metric more often. But but I do want to challenge one thing, which is I'm not convinced, and I'd, I'd love to be convinced because it would be much better if this were true. I'm not convinced that, that the executive who is playing golf with his friend and who hears about the wonderful results that somebody's getting, I'm not sure that person signed on to a cultural transformation. I'm not sure that person is thinking, gosh, what we really need is to have teams that are much more autonomous. That person might very well be thinking, what I need is to sprinkle some of this uh, miracle cure on my uh, organization, and then it will somehow uh, miraculously get better. Do, do you see that? Or do you see that, in general, the, the executives really are committed to a uh, complete change? No, Squirrel. You know, what you've uh, mentioned is what we uh, call in the book, uh, you folks do Agile. Mm. Um, it is, it is uh, senior executives who see Agile teams as a way to get better results, but they don't see it as anything that impacts their daily lives. Uh, and they, they continue their command and control methodologies that have always um, 
maybe not always entirely work for them, but at least seem seem like they've worked for them o over time. So they use that same approach saying, you know, you folks do agile and, uh, you know, we'll set up teams, uh, but I'm going to expect more out of you. And, you know, well, that's why we're making the change. We're making the change so we can get more done. So that, that's, that's why, uh, you know, as the executive, I'm, I'm championing this in the first place. And thank heavens the problem is somewhere else. It's not me. Thank heavens I'm not <laughs> at fault. <laughs> because if it was, I was at fault, then I'd have to do something different. Boy, that would be really threatening. Exactly. The, 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 the challenge, though, because I heard you say, like, you start small. That sounds like a real um, challenge to, the, to that executive mindset. So they, they are looking to, to transform the way the company works. They, they want to be, they're having the kind of success that, you know, the, the big tech companies are having, uh, as you said, Facebook, Amazon, Google, why, why can't our share price do that? Uh, and saying, start with a small team. I, how is that going to get me there? That is, it feels like it's, it feels like I'm just, you know, making a little tiny change when I want is a big change. How, how does your, what, what's your response to someone who has that kind of concern? Yes, well, that's that's another pattern we talk about in the book. We call agile as a quick fix, and um, it, it it isn't it isn't a quick fix for large companies that are successful. We see this as a multi-year journey, and a company that expects to get results and get improvement in just let's say a six-month transformation program are, are just being unrealistic. So. Um, you know, they can get success in, in some places, but using the agile approach by necessity starts with, you, you, you talk about a walking skeleton in your book. I think that's a really good way of thinking about an agile approach in, in, in a company. Uh, just having a, a minimum area where you're, you're adopting practices, beginning to get results, and understanding where the barriers are. A lot of what we talk about in doing Agile right are the barriers that most large companies would face in adopting Agile. And it's everything from you know, our, our planning and budgeting cycles are at best once a year and sometimes, sometimes multi-year. So if we see a customer need, it might take us a year or more before we can start working on that thing. Um, or, uh, you know, we're a bank or we're an insurance company or a healthcare company. We've got a lot of regulators. So we have a compliance function and, um, you know, we can rapidly think about change, but we actually can't execute it, uh, without months and months and months of, of, of compliance, you know, testing and, and, and work. And that's always done at the back end of the, of the process. So it just, just adds time, uh, or our, um, human resources systems aren't really allowing us to build a career path that uh, rewards skills as opposed to just the number of people reporting to you and, and in a sense, bigger and bigger bureaucracy. So, so we talk about those barriers and unless you actually test agile in a company, you don't know which of those barriers you're going to hit and you don't know how to, how to overcome them. Mm. So you're trying to learn, essentially learning and discovering about your own company as much as you're about how to perform Agile itself. That's exactly right. The two go hand in hand. And, you know, one of the problems we see is this cargo cult mentality. If we just adopt what Spotify is doing, suddenly we're going to get those results or, you know, Amazon's two pizza teams or, uh, you know, some, some other firm that is, 
that is using agile agile practices without understanding that those practices have been really uh, carefully tuned uh, and have grown up in a particular company environment. And we know for large companies, everyone is incredibly unique. Yes, it reminds me a lot actually of uh, what happened with uh, Toyota and lean manufacturing with the uh, American car companies uh, picking it up and doing cargo culting, uh, but not bringing over uh, the culture that went with it. Yes. And it's, it's the, the separation of the learning culture at Toyota from the practices didn't didn't actually give you anything. You, you, you weren't getting the results. And it's, as you say, it's the, the um, practices that the specific techniques they were using weren't the point. They were the outgrowth of the mindset they had. Right, right. And, you know, I know that um, um, uh, you guys have, have written about this idea that even, even at the team level, you, know, you can set up sprint reviews and, and sprint retrospectives and daily stand-ups and so forth. But if you're not having the right conversations, if the people aren't communicating, if they aren't building trust and reducing fear, um, again, you're not going to get results. That, that's just at a micro one team level, let alone when you think about that across the whole company. And how do you find receptivity? So um, my imagined executive on the golf course who's just heard, I want to sprinkle the, the powder on the team. When, when you show up, you're, you're kind of giving that person a, a wake-up call. Did, did they fire you at that point and say, go away, this is too hard? <laughs> or did they say, great, Steve, come in, you know, help me to become a, a different person uh, leading a different company? Yes. Well, uh, I wish I could say that um, every executive immediately, immediately gets it. Uh, yeah, I was hoping you'd reason... say that so I could find out what you do. <laughs> <laughs> part of the reason we, we, we wrote our book is, is because we do think that that can actually help build awareness. And uh, we also recently published an article called the Agile C-Suite, which is a, a, an easy way for an executive just to spend you know, 20, 30 minutes and just get an overview of how they can be part of the solution instead of part of the problem if they're thinking about their company becoming more more agile. Um, but you know, back to your question of you know what do you do when an executive doesn't really doesn't really get it? Um, again, for us, it comes back to an agile approach. So we might say, look, you might not buy into all of this, but let's just set up a few teams. You know try to get them to uh, have the autonomy and the conditions for success that we're describing here. Let's see how it works. Let's see, let's see what you learn from it. And sometimes it takes more than a couple of teams. It might take, you know, it might have to do a little, little further than that, but over time we typically see a tipping point where, where even the skeptical executives are seeing enough success in the places where they're doing it right to start to say, okay, maybe I am willing, I broke some rules to make these teams work the way they are, but now maybe it's time to change those rules. Mm. And I think that's actually a really interesting point. Uh, I can imagine that's the point where they start having real skin in the game for the transformation when they have started to make, uh, uh, you say, breaking some rules on their own. Now it's sort of if they they can see that their contribution towards making it successful. Oh, I, I can actually do something here that uh, helps people be successful by giving them some uh, some some deviance from our normal process. Now it starts to become my process because I've I've allowed them to do that, uh, as opposed to it being violating my process. 
that's exactly right. Um, I, I worked with a large retailer several years ago, um, which showed you don't always have to start at the top. Sometimes you could start in the middle. You just need some leader who has enough influence over part of the organization to at least set up, you know, just get the engine running, just start, start something with a few teams, seeing the results of this, this company, uh, had a leader in the digital area and your know, digital channels, uh, which was, um, really not working well at all at the time. So they were up for a significant change and they converted from, believe it or not, a waterfall process in digital to, to agile, <laughs> to, um, uh, also paying attention to their architecture, making it more modular and building better skills, uh, rewarding engineering talent and respecting engineering talent the way they hadn't in the past. They were having such good results over uh, about a year, year and a half that in digital that the CEO said, boy, that's the only part of the technology organization that's working. Uh, why don't we adopt that across the, uh, across the rest of the organization? So in that case, it started, uh, you know, kind of in the middle, but then over, over time, it, it, the, uh, the success is what drove uh, the, the change of, heart and mind of the senior executives. Fantastic. Well, I imagine that's uh, inspiring to some of our listeners who may find themselves in the middle, and we have some at, at all levels in the organization. The idea that you could start that kind of shift without necessarily being the leader is helpful. And of course, if you are, and you're sitting listening to this thinking, gosh, what could I do? Maybe uh, talk to, to, to Steve about how you can, or certainly read Steve's book to find out how you can actually make that shift in, in your own thinking and uh, start to have uh, a different approach, an agile approach to building agile rather than the uh, magic powder approach, which uh, does, doesn't seem to, to work out so well. Uh, Steve, if people did want to read your book, where would they uh, get in touch or talk to you? Where, where would they get in touch with you? What's the best uh, way to, to, to get more Steve? Uh, if you just go to bain.com, B-A-I-N.com slash agile, uh, you'll find uh, their references to the book, uh, links to me, and uh, anything else you'd like to know from us on the subject. Sounds fantastic. That'll be in the show notes, of course, as always. So if you didn't manage to write that down, if you're driving, don't don't write it down. You know, wait until you <laughs> stop and look it up. I always worry about our listeners who, who, who drive and listen to us. Great. Well, thanks, Steve, for being on with us. If uh, folks would like to get in touch with us, of course, we're also in the show notes. Uh, everything for us is at conversationaltransformation.com. So feel free to go there and get in touch with Jeffrey and me, ask us questions. Um, maybe uh, we can pass those on to Steve if, uh, if helpful and, and uh, pick up some of these topics in the future. They're certainly very interesting to us. And of course, we also like it when listeners uh, come back to us every Wednesday. This is episode 130, I think. So uh, we've got a lot more coming. You'll be uh, uh, able to hear us next week, but you probably need to hit the subscribe button in whatever application you use, and that would help you to come back and uh, hear us again. Super. Well, thanks to Steve and Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, guys.